In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In order to be successful Sunday school servants, we should not forget that we are disciples. The life of a servant is a life of a discipleship. That's why even we call the apostles the disciples, the twelve disciples. And when the Lord actually sent the disciples, he told them, go preach the gospel to all the nations and make them disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The true teacher is Christ. Christ is the true and good teacher. But everybody else is a disciple. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, had 12 disciples and then 72 and he prepared them to the work of ministry and gave them authority uh, to heal illness and also to cast out demons. So, I like actually to speak today about some requirements for discipleship. And I'll speak about 12 requirements in order to be disciples. Uh, the first requirement we read it in John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So, in order to be a disciple, we need to abide in the word of God. Just listening to the word of God is not enough to be a disciple. But abiding in the word of God. Abiding means to transform the words into life. To live the word of God. These words are principles. You will live by these principles. As we said in the sermon this morning, you need to read the Word of God. You need to understand it. You need to keep it in your heart, to meditate on it, to reflect on it. You need to apply it in your life. Then to hold yourself accountable. 
That's abiding in the word of God. That's the first requirement. Second requirement in John 13, 35, the Lord said, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the second requirement is love. Uh, if we don't love one another, then we are not disciples. If there is conflict among us as a servants, we are not disciples. And we cannot be successful. Actually, a house divided against itself, it will be brought into desolation. And love here is the agape love. And agape love is a willful love. It is a faculty of your will. A decision you make. It's a choice, not ability. It is sacrificial. It is limitless. And it is unconditional. When we have this love toward one another, then we are indeed his disciples. The third requirement, you'll find it in First John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. A disciples follow his master. So we need to walk according to the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Lord said to the Jews in John chapter 8, when they told him, we are the children of Abraham and we never uh, enslaved by anyone. So in John 8 and verse 39, he told them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So I can say, if you are God's children, you would do the works of God. If you are God's disciples, you will do the works of God. So, this actually is a true discipleship. And by the way, there are two words in Arabic can be translated into, uh, three words in English can be translated into the same word in Arabic, tilmiz. Pupil, student, and disciple. Pupil can be translated to means, student can be translated to means, and disciple can be translated to means. Pupil are the people uh, or the children in primary school. And these three words 
have three types of learning. The people learn by feeding. You feed him the information. It's like the pupil of the eye. That's why the children in primary school, we call them pupils because we teach them by feeding the information to them. That's how they learn. A student, they learn by studying. That's why they are called students. They study. They go to the lab. They do research, go to the library. Disciples, they learn by discipline. Discipline. So they learn from the life of their teacher. That's why he said, we ought to walk as he walked. We need to be disciplined and follow his food steps. Uh, then the fourth, fifth, sixth requirement are mentioned in Luke chapter 14. And any leader should be happy when he finds people following him. But in Luke chapter 14, we read that in verse 25, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them. So when he found great multitude following him, the Lord turned and told him, before you follow me, did you count, did you calculate the cost of following me to be my disciples? There are requirements to follow me. And he mentioned three requirements. That's why I told you requirement number four, five, six. We find them in Luke chapter 14. The first requirement, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The word hate here doesn't mean the opposite of love, but means God should be the first. And what is known as love among the people People who they are not Christian. This will be different for us Christian. Let me give you an example. God asked Abraham to offer his son Isaac. According to the people, the people who are far from God, they will say no. You could not offer your son as a sacrifice. Maybe people, when they read the story of Abraham, they said, definitely he hated his son. How come he took his son to offer him as a sacrifice? 
Definitely Judaism and Christianity are against human sacrifices. But God actually won't use Abraham as analogy how the father offered his son on the cross. That is the purpose of this test. But Abraham, when God actually asked him to offer his son as a sacrifice, he did not hesitate. And he took his son to offer him as a sacrifice. But he was redeemed with a calf or a sheep. So we can say here Abraham loved God more than his son. We can say according to the terminology of the children of the world that Abraham hated his son and offered him a sacrifice because of his love toward God. And not only Abraham, but Saint Demiana, when she heard her father denied Christ, she told him, it was more joyful to me to hear that you were martyred for the name of Christ than to hear that you are alive and you denied Christ. And even in our contemporary time, the same words were said by the families of the 21 martyrs of Libya. So, do you, God, do you put God first before your family, before your spouse, before your children, before yourself? Or let me say it differently. Your love to your family, your love to your spouse, your love to your children should be part and included in your love toward God. Not against. So this is the first requirement. Or the number fourth. The fifth requirement in Luke chapter uh, 14 verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Carrying the cross. The Lord said to all the people, the gate is narrow. The way is difficult and rough. And there are few people who are walking in this way. Many of us, when we see the cross, we refrain from being disciples. So, if any Christian should carry the cross, how much more the servants who dedicated their life to the service of the Lord definitely will be carrying a cross. As we read in Sirach, my son, if you offered yourself to the service of God, prepare yourself to many hardships. So carrying the cross is part of our calling of being disciples. And the cross, not only what happens to me from outside, 
But the cross is my choices when I choose to live in asceticism. When I choose to wake up early every day to spend some time in prayer. When I choose to fast. All these things are inconvenient. Yes, they are inconvenient. But I do them happily. It's part of the cross that I carry to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he told them the third requirement in Luke, uh, or the number six, the sixth requirement in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. The detachment. God wants us to be detached. Detach it from everything, from the love of money, love of pleasure, emotions. We are called like a bird want to fly. If the bird is bound with rope to the ground, he cannot fly because Every time he wants to fly, this rope will pull him down. He has to be detached. This rope should be cut so he can fly in his journey. In the same way, in order to be disciples and fly and follow Christ and have the heavenly mind, and have the heavenly citizenship. We need to detach ourselves from everything that's earthly. This detachment is very important. And it is a requirement to be a disciple for Christ. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 20, Seven. Uh, when Peter heard about this requirement, so he answered, he, he said to the Lord, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits, on the throne of his glory, you who, who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So here the Lord is promising us that when we leave anything for him, he will reward us hundredfold. So that's a requirement of discipleship, to detach from everything without remorse, without regret. 
God will reward you hundredfold. Number seven, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. Jesus said, No one having put his hand to the plow and look back is fit for the kingdom of God. Sometimes after we leave something for God, still our hearts in what we left. Maybe we left something physically, but we are not detached from it. That's why the Lord said, don't look backward. If you look backward, you cannot be my disciple. The Lord told us, remember Lot's wife. What about Lot's wife? Why the Lord wants us to remember this lady? Two angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah to save Lot and his family. And Lot actually had many other children, daughters, other than the two daughters that left Sodom with him. And he tried to convince them to live with him, but they were not convinced. So at the end, Lot and his wife and two daughters left. But his wife, after left Sodom, she looked backward. Her heart was still backward. And most probably she just, she did not only look backward, but I think she took some steps backward toward the city. Why? We read that she turned it into a pillar of salt. How come? What is the scientific explanation? You know, with this fire, some precipitation happened on her. Uh, because God burned the, the city with uh, brimstone, which is like sulfur. So this salt is the precipitation of this uh, salt on her. And this would not happen unless she moved backward some steps. So the Lord told us, if you start following me and you became a disciple of me, don't look backward. Don't look backward. You need actually to look only forward in front of you. Your eyes on the 
your eyes only on, on Jesus Christ. Looking backward doesn't mean only to look backward what we left, like Lot's wife. But looking backward means to take your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you are driving behind somebody, you are following somebody, maybe in a second, if you get distracted, you would lose this person. Same thing, if you took your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, you may lose him. This happened with Peter, when the Lord told him, come walking on the water. His eyes were fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was walking. Then he took his eyes off the Lord and started to look at the waves, and at the storm, at the sea. So he started to drown. But when he looked back at the Lord Jesus Christ and told him, Lord, save me, the Lord saved him. Peter, again, during the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ, he denied him. And then we read that the Lord looked at him and Peter went out and wept bitterly. But my question, how did Peter know that the Lord looked at him? Definitely Peter looked also at the Lord. And when he looked at the Lord and he found the Lord looking at him, this eye contact between Peter and the Lord made him go outside and uh, wept bitterly. So the repentance of Peter started from where? From looking at the Lord. So as long as our eyes fixed on God, because we are his disciples, then this will initiate our repentance. This will initiate our salvation. This will initiate our deliverance. Don't look backward. Keep your eye fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Number eight, commitment. Any disciple should be committed to follow his master. And applying the teaching. That's why uh, even now when there is a student like in medical school or whatever and he wants to be a disciple, do you know what the term they are using here? Shadowing. Go and shadow Professor so-and-so. 
Shadowing means to be like his shadow, to follow him. This a commitment. Can you see the shadow separated from the, 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 the thing that reflecting it? Definitely not. You cannot separate the shadow of the tree from a tree. You cannot separate the shadow of a house from the house. So they say to these students, I want you to be the shadow of professor so-and-so. So there is a commitment here to be his shadow. In the same way, our discipleship, we have to be, a, there is a commitment. Commitment. Commitment to the service. Commitment to the preparation of the lessons. Commitment to our servants' meeting. Commitment to visitation. Commitment to my spiritual canon. If we are not committed, we cannot be disciples. Because once we lose our commitment, then we are not shadowing. We separate ourselves from the Lord. Then how can we learn? Commitment is a very important requirement for discipleship. Number nine, the desire to learn. The desire to learn. Can you imagine if there is a student shadowing one of the professors but he has no desire to learn. He's just walking with him, but has no desire to learn, to return, to retain the knowledge or the information, to apply it, to practice it, to live by it. Then after six months of shadowing, what did you learn? Nothing. So yes, you can shadow somebody, and you learn nothing. I remember somebody came to me and told me, I want to be your disciple. So I told him, first, you need to have the spirit of discipleship, the desire to learn. Uh, in the paradise of fathers, we read that uh, young novices, they used to go to the elders asking for a word of benefit. Tell me a word that I may live by it. St. Anthony the, the Great, they said about him he was like a bee. You know how the bee uh, fly from one flower to another in order to collect uh, 
the, the juice and, and make the honey. St. Anthony was jumping from one Ankurai to another Ankurai to another hermit, learning from them. A learnable person will learn from anything. Definitely will learn from the word of God. Definitely will learn from early church fathers. But they will learn from anything. Jonah learned lessons from nature, from the storm. He said there is a message from God from the whale, from the hot weather, from the wall, from the little bush. He learned from everything around him. Even we can learn from people whom we judge as ungodly. There is a story about from the Syrian that a lady was sitting close to him and she was looking at him for a long time. So he felt embarrassed. So he asked her, why you you are staring at me like this? So she answered in a philosophical way, she told him, I think it's natural to look at a man because woman was created from rib taken from a man. But men should look at the ground, at the earth, because they were taken from the dust of the earth. And then the biography of Mar Ephraim says he benefited from this word and trained himself to look at the dust of the earth and to say to himself, you were taken from this dust. A similar story happened with St. Anthony when he lived close to the Nile River in Benesuif, Qaman al-Aruz. And then a lady took her clothes uh, to, to swim in the river. So then Anthony told her, woman, aren't you embarrassed to take your clothes off in front of me, uh, a hermit? So she told him, if you are indeed a hermit, you should live in the desert, in the wilderness. Because Hermans don't live in cities. So St. Anthony the Great said, this is the voice of God to me. And he entered into the eastern desert from Benesuif to the place of his monastery right now. I think the car takes it right now in about three or four hours. He walked all this distance 
based on what this word, uh, woman told him. We knew that many monks came from Europe to uh, Egypt to learn from the monks in Egypt. Like John Cassian, he came from Europe to Egypt to learn from the life of the monks. Pladius came and he wrote the two volumes of the Paradise of the Monks. They were written by Pladius. He came especially to learn from these people. The spirit of learning. Even not only the novice learn from the elders, but even the elders, they did not lose the spirit of learning. For example, Pope Theophilus, Patriarch number 23, many times he went to the desert to learn from the hermits and monks there. One time he went to St. Arsenius to learn from him and he asked a word of benefit. Can you see the Pope went just to a monk asking for a word of benefit. Pope Benjamin, Patriarch number 38, also written about him that he used to visit monasteries and the hermits to learn from them. Saint Athanasius, the apostolic, this one who wrote the creed at age of 20, the hero of uh, the Nicene Council, when he wrote the biography of Saint Anthony the Great, he actually, he posted that he was a disciple of Saint Anthony. So a greatest scholar like Saint Athanasius, he said, I actually was a disciple to Saint Anthony the Great. And he said, I poured water on his hand. So he considered it's a blessing that he poured water on the hand of Saint Anthony to help him washing his hand. Saint Macarius. Saint Macarius actually uh, is considered the father of monasticism after Saint Anthony the Great. He asked a word of benefit from a little child. You know, there was a father took his son, both of them became monks, 
father, his name Karyon, and his son is Zechariah. And Zechariah, although in spite of his young age, but he was very godly, and he reached a very spiritual high level in a very young age. So Saint Macarius went to him, and he asked for a word of benefit. So Zechariah said to Macarius, you are the star of wilderness. You are the lampstand of wilderness. And you coming to me, asking a word of benefit from me? And Macarius replied in humbleness, and he told him, I know that you are filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. And I know that I am lacking something. That's why I, I came to you to learn it from you. Spirit, you know, the desire to learn. Another time, St. Macarius also, he found uh, a little boy tending uh, some cows. So he told him, give me a word of benefit. Just a, a little boy. And he told him, I ate and I want to eat again. So he told him, go and eat again. He told him, I ate but I'm still hungry. He told him, go and eat again. So Macarius said, I ate but still hungry and, and I have desire to eat more. So this little boy told him, then you are a gluttonous man, glutton. And he learned a lesson that if he cannot control his stomach, then he is gluttonous. The desire to learn. Many of us, when it comes to prayer, we say we know how to pray. But the disciples went to the Lord Jesus Christ and told him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Again, all these are examples. Uh, the importance of the desire to learn. Another uh, number 10, the requirements of discipleship. Humbleness. Uh, you cannot ask a word of benefit. It will be difficult to have the desire to learn if you are not humble. If you believe that you understand better than the rest, if there is arrogance, if you believe that you have the knowledge, then you will never uh, learn or, or be a disciple. 
St. Paul, this great scholar, theologian, philosopher, preacher, call him, we call him the teacher of the world, St. Paul. He was happy and he is taking, he's boasting that he was disciplined at the feet of Gamalail. He did not say, I was disciplined by Gamalail, but at the feet of Gamalail in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Which means that the disciple did not sit with his teacher in the same level. But the disciple used to sit at the feet of his teacher to learn from him. It is a symbol of humbleness. Arrogant person, prideful person like the leaders of Israel, they cannot be disciples. That the Lord told them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. If you admit you're blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But because you say, we see, that's pride, arrogance. That's why your sin remains, because you say, we see. Requirement number 11, retaining what we learned. If you don't retain what you learned, then you are not a disciple. That's why when we go to school, then when we return home, what do we do? We study and try to return, retain the information in our mind and in our heart. And we get tested. David in Psalm 119 said, I retained your word in my heart, lest I sin against you. A disciple should retain the knowledge. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6, the Lord said, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why? In order not to forget the commandment of God. So, you need actually to train yourself to retain 
the knowledge and the information and to live by them. The last requirement is exercise. Listening to this lecture will not make you a disciple. But start to exercise and to apply what you listen to this lecture. This will make you a disciple. It's a life. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen instantly. Not just because you heard about discipleship or you hear about how to serve, you hear about how you uh, treat your uh, children, uh, hear about how to prepare a lesson, how to do visitation. Hearing only is not enough. You need to exercise. That's why in a school like medical school, they do internship, they do round, and if, even after they graduate, they do residency. All this is exercise. And after they finish residency, I think every six years or seven years, they renew their board exam. Why all these exams? It is exercises. In the same way, we as disciples, we need to have our spiritual exercises and we apply them. These exercises what will make us uh, true disciples. So, in order, you cannot be a successful Sunday school servant without being a disciple and continuing and remaining to be a disciple. And as I told you, in this lecture we spoke about 12 requirements for discipleship. Abiding in the word of God, love, walking in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ, detachment, carrying your cross, putting God first priority in your life. Don't look backward. Don't take your eyes off the Lord. Commitment, desire to learn, humbleness, retaining the knowledge and the information, and applying them. And finally, spiritual exercises. These are the requirements of discipleship. Let us apply them. And as I said, to be a successful servant, you know, a good professor is a good disciple. He cannot be a professor and successful without being a good disciple uh, and, and continue to be a good disciple. May the Lord give us a spirit of discipleship. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.